Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Now, the portion of scripture we're going to look at today, at first glance, doesn't seem like much of a Christmas passage, at least in the way that we're used to, because what we have in our text this afternoon doesn't so much give us the what of Christmas, right? You come to a Christmas Eve service, you might expect to hear about angels and shepherds and a baby and a manger. That's the what of Christmas. But what our passage this afternoon shows us is a reality that is true of all of us today. And that is that how you live your life today is largely, if not totally determined by what you believe to be true about your future. I'll give you an example. A handful of years ago, my son was about four or five years old. My wife walks into his room to find him stuffing his backpack full of toys and a handful of socks, which is a bit of a curious sight, right? And so she asked the question many of us would ask, Bud, what, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm getting ready to go to grandma's. Now, here's the thing. We did not have plans to go to grandma's. And so thinking that she was going to be like bursting his bubble, right? She goes, bud, we don't have plans to go to grandma's. And he goes, no, 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 I know. I, I know. But we'll, we'll go to grandma's at some point. And when we do, I want to be ready. You see, he knew at some point he would go to grandma's. And because that's what he believed about his future, he was willing for that reality to affect his access to a lot of toys and a handful of socks, right? Now, you and I do this all the time. Perhaps it's not with toys and socks. I would hope that would be the, not be the case for you, but we do this all the time. Because it, if your future desire is a good retirement, then perhaps what you'll do is you'll save and invest money now so that way you'll have plenty of resources to travel and to live comfortably and to spoil your kids and your grandkids, right? Like if, if you know today that you are going to, this coming summer, 2024, you're going to have that beach vacation you've always wanted, perhaps you'll begin working out and eating vegetables, right? To get that, you know, beach body-ish. We're all going for ish, aren't we? Right? Or maybe for you, you're hosting your family for Christmas. And so because you knew they were coming, you cleaned up the house, right? You stocked the fridge, you fluffed the throw pillows, the thousand throw pillows that we all have. Why do we have these decorative pillows, right? But you got those looking all nice, right? Because you knew they were coming. This is why college students don't do laundry in December. This is why. It's because they know, they know in just a handful of weeks, a free washer and dryer await me at home, right? What they believe about their future, what we believe about our future, totally affects the way that we live our life today. And the reason our passages this afternoon, really our Christmas passages, like I said, is that because it doesn't just show us the what of Christmas, it shows us the why of Christmas. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth 2,000 years 
ago. Now, our passages this afternoon that Anna read are in the book of Revelation. And what Revelation is, is it's the last book of the Bible. And what it is, is that this whole book is a vision that God gave to a guy named John. Now, John was the last living disciple of Jesus Christ. And when John was given this vision, he had, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. You can actually go visit Patmos Island even today. And he was exiled to that island because the the religious and the governmental leaders of that day did not want John spreading the gospel. And so they said, we'll just put him on this island and we'll we'll put him in like solitary confinement, right? And so he receives this vision while on the island of Patmos. Now, Now, what... The book of Revelation has often become a bit of a battleground book for some Christians because uh, some Christians want to argue and debate about prophecy and end times sorts of things. But, But the problem with that is that what the book of Revelation was meant to do is it wasn't meant, God did not give John the vision and then John wrote it down and gave it to believers. It wasn't because God was like, they don't have enough to argue about, so how about this? No, what was happening at the time was that the Christians at the time were going through an incredible amount of suffering. That was their present reality. And so what God did was he gave John this vision of a future, of a future day, to write down and give to these suffering Christians who are going through an an incredible amount of hardship because God knew that how you live today is determined by what you believe to be true about your future. And so the first part of our passage today, John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And the sea was no more. Now, maybe this sounds a bit sad for those of you. Maybe you are planning that beach vacation. You go, the sea was no more. I'm spending an incredible amount of money to go to the sea, right? Us Midwesterners, we kind of like the sea. So, you know, it's a little warm. It's kind of nice, fresh fish, all these things. But you see, in the ancient world, the sea wasn't a place that you would go for leisure, that wasn't how they understood the sea. You know, in the ancient world, the sea was a place of chaos, it was a place of uncertainty. And it was often the place of death. You see, people didn't go to the sea to vacation. People often went to the sea and they would often die. And you can imagine John exiled on the island of Patmos as he's writing this. Not only was the sea this ancient symbol of death and destruction and chaos, but for John, who has been exiled, who has been removed from the presence of his friends and his family and his fellow believers, that as he writes these words and sees this vision, he is actually looking out across a sea that separates him and the people that he loves. And so you can imagine for John, the sea wasn't only a symbol of chaos and death, but it was also a symbol of relational separation. And can you imagine him seeing a vision of the day when this sea would be no more? For some of you, 2023 has been a great year. It's been a great year. Maybe for you, you welcomed a new child into the world or a new grandchild. Maybe for you, you got a promotion at work, a new position. Maybe, you, you know, you got a, a pay raise. Maybe for you, 2023 was the year that you actually retired. And so you're enjoying the extra time and the extra leisure that you have in this season of your life. So for, 
Perhaps for some of you, the, the chaos of our world, the uncertainty of our world, the seas of our world, kind of come into your life a bit more in your news feed. But my guess is, is that for some of you, maybe for many of you, 2023 was a year where the chaos and the hardship that once existed out there, that once existed in a news feed, came in a very real way to the very center of your world. Or perhaps for you, the the good marriage or maybe even the okay marriage of 2022 became the broken marriage of 2023. Maybe for you, the health of 2022 became the sickness of 2023. Maybe for you, the hope of 2022 became the depression, the dark cloud, the dark night of the soul of 2023. Maybe for some of you, you spent more time going to funerals than you did going to family gatherings. Perhaps for you, the calm waters of a life going the way that you expected became the tumultuous seas of 2023. But what the message of Christmas is and what the message of Christianity is, is that because Jesus was born, because he lived, because he died, and because he rose again, that for those who believe in him, that you can actually have peace in your storm today and you can have the hope of a future day where the chaotic seas of life will be no more. You see, Jesus came to dry up the sea. He came to dry up the sea in your life, and he came to dry up the sea in our world. But not only that, as we read on in our passage this afternoon, we don't only see that Jesus came to dry up the seas, we also, we also see that Jesus came to rebuild the skyline. Revelation 21, verse 2. Speaking of this future day, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I've read this passage for years, and it wasn't until recently that Tim Keller, who actually just recently passed away this last May, he showed me something in this text that I have not been able to shake. You see, it's it's really easy for us to um, to think that earth is the earth and heaven is heaven, and so what going to heaven means is that it means that leave, it means leaving the earth, leaving here and going up there, right? That's often the way we think about it. We leave the earth, we go to heaven because they're very separate. But what John saw was that one day, it won't simply be that people leave the earth and go to heaven, but instead that heaven will come down to the earth. And what do we see here in verse 2 that's coming down? It's a city. A new Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing about cities, or really, honestly, about anywhere that, that a group of people, a population, lives or works or plays. The thing about cities is that the skylines of the city give you the clues about the gods of that city. 
It's within the skylines of the city that give you the clues about what that people or that population, what do they worship? Look at the skylines. It's the skylines. It's the, it's the high places. The high places of the cities tell you what the gods of that place is. This is why in Psalm chapter 121, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. For where does my help come? Now, why in the world is this psalmist looking at the hills? Why is he looking up there? It's because in the ancient world, what they would do is that's where they would put their temples. They would build their temples on the hills because the, closer, the, the higher in the sky, the closer you were to heaven. You want to know what the gods of that place are? Look to the hills. You want to know what the gods of the places now are? Look to the skylines. My wife and I used to live in Chicago. We lived about eight blocks away from the Sears Tower. It's now the Willis Tower. And what is in the Willis Tower? The highest building in the city. It's filled with financial and legal companies. You, you go to Des Moines, the, the principal building. Apparently, it's the 801 Grand Building. I don't know when that happened. But what, what's, what's in the, the principal building in Des Moines? How tallest building, you know, in the, in the skyline? It's insurance companies. It's finance companies, right? The One World Trade Center, New York City. What's in that? Financial, insurance, and trade companies. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? From New York to Chicago to Los Angeles, the gods of money, power, and security litter our skylines. Make no mistake, architecture communicates values. So when we moved to Cedar Falls about 10 years ago, one of the most jarring things to us was that there was no skyline. I, I hilariously, this was a very short amount of time, praise God, that I did graphics here. Not saying I was good at it. I'm just saying I did it. Okay, and so one one of the things I don't I don't remember what project it was, and I wanted to I wanted in this you know piece to have a skyline of the Cedar Valley, and I I spent so long looking for a picture or an outline of the skyline, could not figure out why I couldn't find a picture. It's because there is no skyline, but that's not exactly true. Because as I thought about it a little bit more, it isn't that the Cedar Valley doesn't have a skyline. It's just that instead of a skyline filled with 100-story buildings, our skyline is filled with two-story houses. We have a skyline. It's just much shorter, right? Which could that, could it be then that perhaps for northern Iowa, the high places of our lives, the gods of our lives, are not necessarily... Money or power, though certainly they could be. But could it be that as you look at the skyline of the Cedar Valley, that the story, the clues that the skyline of the Cedar Valley tell us about the gods of our lives is that they're not money and power, but are instead our families or our relationships. Could it be that the high places of northern Iowa aren't primarily status and prestige, but our spouses and children. You see, whether you like it or not, whether you like cities or not, 
you and I unavoidably build a skyline in our heart. Each and every one of us, each and every one of us constructs a skyline in our heart that reveals to us the gods, the high places, those things that we look to for security, for status, for meaning, for love, for acceptance. The word that the Bible uses for these skylines that we build is idols. They're idols. But what makes it difficult for us to actually notice these idols of our hearts is that because often the things that we look to as the high places of our lives are actually really good things. You say, Jake, isn't, isn't my family good? Yeah, absolutely. Like family is a gift from God. Your marriage is a gift from God. Your kids are a gift from God. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't only refer to sin as bad things that you do. but it's also anything that you elevate in your heart above God. Anything that you love more than God. You see, sin isn't only doing bad things, it's over-loving good things. Because the reality is that every good thing we might elevate over God is still, even in its best expression, temporary. This is why, um, not, not all the time, but often when I sit down with a couple who's engaged to do some premarital counseling, um, one of the first things I'll say or inform them of is, hey, just so you know, what, what getting married is, is it is both of you making a commitment that one day one of you will see the other one in a casket. Now that really puts a damper on the, yeah, it's, like, it's like we're young and in love and I'm like, you're gonna die, you know? And so maybe, maybe my like premarital counseling request will go down after tonight, right? But, 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 but you get the point, right? Because even if you have the greatest marriage, the greatest marriage, it is, at the end of the day, at best, temporary. Now, the sad reality, though, and marriage is great. I'm not saying that to demean marriage. But it is temporary, and the sad reality is that some of you have, unfortunately, not had to wait until a casket to feel the sting of the temporariness of marriage. But perhaps for you, your marriage has ended not in a casket, but in a courtroom. But you see, you could have the best relationship with your kids, but they'll eventually move out. You could have the best career. You get all the awards, get all the promotions. You could, you could, you could climb to the very top of the ladder. And at some point, you'll retire though, right? You'll retire or die. You see, whatever it is, if the high places of your heart are anything but God, you'll soon find, you'll soon find, note this, that when they walk away, that when they pass away, or when they are swept away, that if those high places of your heart are anything but God, when that eventually happens, you'll have no idea what to do. And it isn't just that you'll be sad. Like, it makes all the sense in the world that when bad things happen to the things that we love in this life, it makes all the sense in the world that you'll be sad. 
But if you do not have God as the high place of your heart, you won't, you won't only be sad, you'll be utterly devastated. You won't know what to do. You won't even know how to, how to live the next day. You perhaps won't even think that life is worth living at all. Why is that? It's because we don't know how to grieve a dead God. And so what do you do when the high places of your heart fall? Or maybe they haven't fallen yet, but what do you do when they eventually do fall? You look to the one who left his high place and was made low. That's what Christmas is all about. It was a Jesus Christ the Prince of Heaven, left his high place and became low so that he could rebuild the skyline of your heart. What do you do when the high places of your heart fall? You look to the one who, when he came to earth, he didn't come with accolades and parades, but he came in a manger. Look to the one who wasn't lifted up as the true king that he was, but he was lifted up on a criminal's cross and was plunged beneath the sea of God's wrath on your behalf. Look to the one that though he created the earth, was buried in the earth and rose again and is now lifted high in the heavenly places so that you can have him as the high place of your heart. John continues to write, Revelation 21 Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. What are these previous things? They're the things that caused all the crying in the first place. You see, the miracle of Christmas is not just that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, but the miracle of Christmas is that he came to restore our broken lives and to give us the hope of a future where, where the paradise that we lost in the garden will be restored once again. Look at, verse, look at chapter 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing the 12 kinds of fruits, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. It's what we just sang a few moments ago. Verse three of Joy to the World, it's so often deleted, but why? What is verse three? No more let sin and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that because Jesus came to earth, his light can shine in your darkness. 
Every nook and cranny of this world and of your life where darkness reigns, where the expression of a cursed world manifests themselves, that the light of Christ can shine into your world. Now, now here's what we do often. When you don't look to Christ as your high place, when you don't look to Christ as the light of your world, what will often happen is that when we experience the tumultuous seas of life and when the skylines of our hearts begin to fall, what we tend to do is we actually tend to look for new boats. Well, the reason why this sea crashed my boat was because what I was looking to for security, I guess, wasn't good enough, so I'm just going to find a new boat. I'm just going to build a new building. Well, that relationship fell apart. That thing happened. I just, I just need to get a new one. I just need to rebuild my skyline on my own. But because Jesus came to earth, his light can shine in your darkness. His presence can calm your seas. His peace can rebuild your skylines. And he can give you a hope of a future where, verse 5, where night will be no more. Jesus came to dry up the seas. Jesus came to rebuild the skylines. And Jesus came to shine in your darkness. This is the only hope strong enough to sustain you as the seas of this world rage and the skylines of your life fall. So, quite simply, if you're a Christian, would this Christmas, 2023, be a fresh reminder of the peace that you've been given now and the future peace that awaits you, of the future day where he will one day wipe away every tear from every eye? Where all of the sad things in your life that caused the tears in the first place, that if you are a Christian, you can have the eternal, lasting, sure, unshakable hope that one day all the sad things will come untrue. Now, I have to imagine that there are some in here who you aren't a Christian. If you aren't a Christian, don't you see? It's... You see it. It's obvious that for as long as humans have existed, peace on earth has never been found on this earth. It's never been found. And so while we look for peace and security in romance or in money or in militaries, would you see this Christmas that true peace can only be found in a humble manger? in a brutal cross, and in an empty tomb of the one who left his high place and was made low, so that if you receive him by faith, you may be lifted up. Now normally, the way that we end messages is that I'll get to the end, there'll be kind of a punctuation mark, and then I'll pray. But we're going to end a little bit differently tonight. Instead of me praying, what we want to do is have a short time of reflection where we've actually written out a prayer that we'll put up on the screen for a few minutes, that over the next three minutes, you can read through this prayer. Maybe you've never prayed. Maybe you don't know what to pray. Here are some words that as you read through them, you can reflect on them in your own heart, and you can even pray these words to the Lord as a prayer that this Christmas, that he would be the high place of your heart that he would be the peace in your chaotic life. 
And then once we're done, Dalton and the team will come up and lead us to respond in singing. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.